Good morning again. Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Today we'll be looking at verses 1 and 2. And we're calling this Fix Your Eyes on Jesus and Run for Your Life. Because you must run for your life. The Christian walk is a marathon. So let's stand and honor the reading of the Word of God. And I'll read verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessings to this reading. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its clarity and its power. And so now, Lord, we pray that you would pour out your spirit on us, that you would revive us this morning, that you give us grace to run with endurance the race that you've set before us. And that this word and this sermon, Lord, and your Holy Spirit would all be means that spur us on in this race. And that we would see, Lord, that we must run for our lives. But God, we cannot run for our lives without the strength and the grace and the ability that you give. So God, we pray that you do this now. That you would train our hearts and our minds. Give us grace to desire holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And Father... Revive us and revive this church today, Lord, afresh, with a fresh effusion of your Holy Spirit, God, for he alone is our hope. We pray this for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. I've always been fascinated with the Ironman Triathlon. Now, I'm not fascinated enough to go do it, mind you. (laughs) I'm fascinated that someone would actually... Subject themselves to this. I'm sure you know about this, but it consists of three parts. Triathlon, of course. One is a 2.4-mile swim. That already gets me out. I don't know about 2.4 miles in a swim, but that right there probably disqualifies me. I'm not sure a 0.4-mile swim wouldn't disqualify me. So it's a 2.4-mile swim, a 112-mile bicycle ride, and a 26.4-mile run. Who's ready to sign up for the first annual Christ Fellowship Baptist Church He-Man's Triathlon? Let me see a show of hands. Or He-Woman's, I don't think you're anxious for that. But the world record holder is a, a German named Jan Frodeno. He did this. He accomplished these three arduous, arduous races in seven minutes, seven hours, seven minutes, well, that would be incredible. So, <laughs> only Jesus could do that, and he could. Seven hours, 51 minutes, and 13 seconds. 2.4-mile swim, 112 miles on a bike, right after you get out of the water, in this order, 26.4-mile run. Now, I always tell you, if you ever see me running, you need to check because someone's chasing me with a gun. That's the only reason I'm going to run. But we have runners in this church, and I respect you. But this amazes me that 
someone actually wants to do this, but will actually do this in seven minutes and or seven hours and fifty-one minutes. This incredible test of endurance. Fascinating. Hundreds of people trained for this, and I have great respect for them. And I will gladly sit in the gallery just like that cloud of witnesses in uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews and watch them and cheer them on. But the road to heaven, we call the Christian life, I would argue is equally grueling. And that when you sign up, now we don't sign up the Christian faith, but you know what I mean, just stay with me here. You theologues who want to say, oh, we don't sign up. I know, I know, I know. But when you sign up, so to speak, for the Christian life, for Christianity, you are signing up for a grueling race, a lifelong race. It's longer than seven hours, 51 minutes, and 13 seconds because the road to heaven is grueling. Rightly understood, no fool would sign up for Christianity. Rightly understood but not often articulated that way among evangelicals, sadly. But I think this text gives us warrant to think about it this way. And, of course, all the rest of the Bible as well. Just this past week, Tim Challies, many of you recall, lost his son, Nate, back in the fall. Suddenly, a Boyce College student, 18 years old, been thinking over that. He wrote this as I was preparing for this. But he said, the road is narrow. Of course, that's the context of what he's speaking of here, of his own loss. The road is narrow, the path is long, the way is rough. Yet God has called each one of us to run the race of the Christian life. Our every step in this great race is taken in the presence of deadly enemies. Our every stride opposed by the world, the flesh, and the devil, that unholy trinity that is against you, that wants to take you out of the race, right? The devil's fiery darts always threaten to harm us. The heart's evil longings to distract us, that inward war, external war and inward war that rages inside of you. The world's glittering enticements to persuade us to drop out, to quit the race altogether. It would be better if we'd not begun at all. Even while we keep our eyes fixed on the prize, we grow weary with the running, we groan through the plodding. Now, my only genius in life is I'm a plodder. I can plod at a lot of things, okay, including preaching. And you say, how oh, we know. You plod through texts every Sunday, right? <laughs> and it's true. Plodding along down this road. I love what G.K. Chesterton said about Christianity. Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found too difficult and not tried. That's the Christian life, rightly understood. It should be that you just don't even want to tangle with the Christian life once it's rightly understood. And I think in light of this text, it corrects our kind of 30 minutes and we solve every drama kind of mentality that we have in American evangelicalism, this church, that we kind of get saved and that's all we ever need, right? We just do our business with God, we make our decisions, so to speak, and now we've done it and then that's it. I think a lot of you have been taught this. I was taught this. You just do it, you nail down your stake, you look back at the stake, but you just kind of just live, right? But I love Chesterton. It's been found too difficult and not tried. That's it. And of course, we must say this, because salvation is by grace alone, and yet no one is saved without perseverance. I would argue no one is saved without running the race. So what's at stake this morning? Yes, it's your perseverance. Yes, it's your sanctification. But it's also your justification, which is not earned but is given by grace alone through faith alone. I'll be very careful, of course. 
But John Murray said this, great Presbyterian theologian, said, We do not attain the prize of the high calling of God in Christ automatically. Perseverance means the engagement of our persons in the most intense and concentrated devotion to those means which God has ordained for the achievement of His purpose, saving purpose. In other words, this race demands your life, your soul, your all, your intense engagement every single day. And it goes back to what I've been quoting in the Gospels. When Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, what? Once a month? Twice a month? On Easter and Christmas? No, take up your cross and follow me daily. Every single day. We live the Christian life every single day. And that's the, the arduous nature of it. So it requires our full engagement. Not just I made my decision or, you know, my family, they're Christians and they go to church and they drag me along and I'm sort of here and that just sort of gets me in. It gets me right with the man. To which I would say that doesn't get you right with the man. If you're not running the race, then either you need to search yourself and go back and Ask God to give you grace to run the race, or maybe you don't have, the, have not had the change of heart at all. So much is at stake when we read this text. Of course, the context is the last chapter, the, the Hall of Faith, which you just con concluded last week, the great cloud of witnesses. And, of course, there's a sense in which they're sitting in the stands and you know, they're cheering you on. Yes, that's true. But their faithfulness is a tribute to the fact that you can do it by God's grace, but it's more than that, I think, a tribute to the faithfulness of God because God was faithful to them. And the only way you're going to finish this race is through the faithfulness and the grace and the strength that God provides every single day. And yet you must run. You must run. And those cloud of witnesses, they've finished their race and they're there. And maybe you know, I have two parents. I believe they're in heaven right now. They finished their race. One of my best friend's father, and like a father to me a few weeks ago, 86 years old, he finished his race, and they're looking. They are witnesses to the faithfulness of God and the race that we must run. And my question is, are you running the race? Which brings me to my first, first of four points this morning. It's this. There is a race to be run. I think we see that here. And you must run it all the way to the end. This is going to require God's grace. You can't do this. We have a can-do spirit in this country, right? A Protestant work ethic, Puritan work ethic, and that's all well and good. And that's great, rightly defined, but we can't do it. And yet we must do it all the way to the end. You see this, this tension we have, right, in the, the Christian life. We can't do it. I mean, Paul said in Philippians 2, what? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And I'm glad he didn't stop there. He says, because for... Causal relationship here. It is God who works in you, both to, is at work in you, both the will and work for his good pleasure, right? So, yes, we work out our salvation. We're called to that as a command, and yet God is at work in us to will and work for his good pleasure. If you're running the race, it's because God's enabling you to run the race. If you're not, I ask you, is God at work in you at all? At all. So there's a race to be run. We see that in the conditional. Remember, I've said before many times one of the largest words in the Bible. And most important words in the Bible is if. So that's only two letters. That's very observant. Two letters, if. If. It's all, all through the New Testament. Just one, one, one example, 2 Peter 1.10. 
You go through this litany, names this litany of, of fruits of the Spirit, basically. Uh, these, these moralistic uh, fruits that ought to be in every Christian. He says, be all, the more dil- be all the more diligent to make your call and election sure. Wait a minute, election's choosing. Well, he says, yeah, but make your call and election sure. And then he says this, for if, there's that big word, for if you practice these qualities, the qualities he's unpacked before that, you will never fail. You'll never fall away. If, if, it's not how did you start out. It's not how much zeal you had for Christ in the beginning. You say, I wish I was half as zealous for the Lord as I was back when I was young. Well, then, Houston, we have a problem. It's not how you start. It's always how you finish. If you practice these things, you'll never fall away. And I could multiply examples, and I won't do that, but it's if, 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 if. Why? Because God is sovereign in salvation? Absolutely, yes. And you are responsible to run the race all the way in? Absolutely, yes. The Bible teaches both of those things. From Genesis to Revelation, God's absolute meticulous sovereignty and human's responsibility. You will stand before God and give an account, not whether He chose you or not, but what you did with Jesus. What think you of Christ? The whole world's going to be thinking of Christ this week because it's it's Easter, it's what we do, right? And then we go back to the way we were before, which is why I don't take a big break for it because we're doing this every week, right? Every week we do this. Every week is Resurrection Sunday. And I have no problem with celebrating that, of course, but we do this every week, right? And that speaks to this text. All the conditional clauses. Then Paul says this. It's in, uh, prevalent in Paul. He says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, he uses this running metaphor and this boxing imagery. So see, Paul's a sports fan, you know. I think God loves sports. This shows us right here. Really, it shows that, I mean, sports show up in the Bible as a metaphor for the Christian life. That's why I use that as a metaphor for the Christian life, especially baseball, particularly the opening day looming in just like 72 hours. There you go. For the baseball fans here, you've persevered through 2020. But he says this in 1 Corinthians 9, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? There's not just going to be one person saved, right? But he's, he's telling you how you need to run. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. It's the crown of life. That's the wreath. That's what's at the end, he says. So I do not run aimlessly. We don't just run hither and yon like our kids, like Clay. chasing his kids. I was amused earlier, right? We're not running that way, are we? We're running on a path. I do not run aimlessly, he says, but I do not box as one being the air. He's not shadow boxing here, but he's boxing. He says, I beat my body to bring it into the discipline. Discipline, bring it under control. And if you're, going to, if you're going to be a pastor or you are a preacher already, this ought to chill you to the bone. He says, I, bring, I, bo- I beat my body to bring it into submission, lest after having preached to others this, I myself might be disqualified. That scares me to death. And it should you, if you're in ministry or going in ministry. You can, you can discipline yourself. You can love theology. You can go to seminary, get all these degrees by your name and be disqualified in the end. Not everybody runs the race to the end. Not all pastors run the race to the end. We've seen this, haven't we, in the, these disqualified ministers very recently. Some we thought had run the race to the end of it. In fact, they weren't running well. Paul in 2 Timothy 4, 6 to 8 says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. It's the end of his life here. 
He says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. He's a sacrifice. He's given his body as a living sacrifice. His life is a living sacrifice, he says. And the time of my departure, it's here. I'm at the finish line. I fought the good fight, all of this language. I finished the race because Christian life is not passive, right? Just let go and let God. No, 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 no. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. He's, he's run all the way to the end. I've kept the faith. That's what he means by that. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward to me on that day, on that day of days, the last day. Not only me, to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He's run his race to the end. He's, he's going to receive the crown of life. This is what you're after. You're after the crown of life, beloved, and you must run to obtain it. You must run to win, right? Nobody likes losing. I hate losing. Just ask anybody that's ever played ball with me. I don't like losing. I don't do it particularly well. So the means of sanctification for me, was it not a few years ago? <laughs> she was laughing. Oh, my goodness. Run to win. Run to win. Of course, it's, it's not winning the way we think about it, but it is. It's run the race. Finish it all the way to the end. Paul says, I've done it. And there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. That's what you're after. That's your pursuit, day and night, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, who's the righteous judge, he will not judge unrighteously. He will reward to me on that day, on that last day. What are you going to be on the last day? If today's the last day, what are you going to be? Are you going to receive the crown of life? Or are you just pretending to quote a good old rock and roll song? Are we just pretending, right? Are we just wearing the mask? Are we here because we've got to be here? Or it's a tradition to be here. Paul said one more in Philippians 3, 12 to 14. Not that I've already obtained this. He's speaking of the crown of life basically here. Not that I've already obtained it because he's not died. I'm already perfect. He's not perfect. But I press on. He's got the runner's lean. I press on to make it my own because, and the cause of this, Christ Jesus has made me his own. He's not just doing. He's doing it because Christ, he's doing his thing because Christ did his thing. He poured out his grace on Paul. And he says this. Forgetting what lies behind. Forget the stake you drove down, in other words. That's going to do you no good. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize, the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. He's pressing. He's got the runner's lean. He's running to the tape. He's running to the finish line. He's got the lean. He's going to win. He wants to win. He's running all out. You know, that last hundred yards or so, you, you're exhausted, but you call on those inner reserves. You ever run track? I used to run by the four by 400, and I ran the last leg, and boy, man, I was tired, but getting there. I see the finish line. I can feel the other runners running hard. I'm leaning into that tape. I'm going to die for the tape. Anything to get there. Anything to get there. That was a long time ago, by the way. That's what, he's, that's what you see here. The runner's lean. He's not looking back. You don't look back and say, I wonder those other guys are. Oh, man, they're catching me. They're passing me. No, no, no. I tell my kids I'm coaching baseball. When you run the bases, don't look for the ball. Don't look back. Run. And that's what he's saying. Run for crying out loud. Run for your life. For the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. That's his one obsession, that prize, the upper call of God, that resurrection of the dead on that day. That's what you're after. The crown of life, the resurrection, when you come out of the ground, you're going to be with him in glory forever and ever. That's what we're after here. That's why I preach. That's why this church is here, to make saints, right? To make saints. 
Two things about the race here, two details. The race is not run on your own course. It's the race set before us. God isn't saying, just run it however you want to run it, your own path. No, there's one way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It's that way. It's Jesus. He's the path. He's the point of the Christian faith. He's the point of the Bible. That's it. It's Jesus. It is the race set before us. You're running for Him. And the, the God has sovereignly set the course before you. He's written your story. And in His good providence, He is superintending your story every single moment, every day. He's set the course. And he's, you're running it by His grace, by His power. Again, you see God's sovereignty and human responsibility come to a, a confluence here, like two rivers. It's all through the Bible if you have eyes to see. And now it's the race of faith, of salvation. I'm running hard, but God's giving me the grace to run. He's strengthening my legs. He's putting, putting, putting strength and energy and, and what we used to call pep into me, right? It's an old word we don't use anymore. You see literature from the 50s and 60s. Uh, you could, it said, chew red man tobacco. It gives you pep. I'm not sure how that gives you pep, but I saw a baseball ad the other day and I thought, wow, I don't think I want pep <laughs> or drink Pepsi Cola. So it's a race, not run on your own course. Secondly, it's a marathon. It's not a short sprint that we can finish quickly with a reckless burst of energy and then collapse at the finish line. That's not the way this is. It's going to require patience. It's going to require some missteps, right? It's going to require you to go slow at times. You're going to grow exponentially at times, and sometimes you're going to feel like you're running backward. At least if you're like me, I feel like I've not made much progress in my pilgrimage sometimes. Even though I preach it, I still feel like I'm, sometimes I feel like I'm running behind and I'm running to catch up. But it's a marathon. I've been a Christian now for 40, almost 44 years. And there are times it feels long. In times it feels hard. It's the hard way. Narrow the path, hard the way that leads to life. Few there be that find it. That's a, really a summary of uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Jesus' words there in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a marathon. We don't like marathons in this country. We like running in them, apparently. But we don't like things that's going to take a while, right? Because we have the internet. We have Siri. I'd say Siri's usually she wakes up. We have all these things. We have it now, 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 now. That's not the Christian life. That's not even your salvation. Yes, you're regenerated in a moment in time, but you're, you are saved and you are being saved. That's why when people make a profession of faith, I watch them and I'm glad, but I don't declare them and say, you're saved as you'll ever be. I mean, I just want to watch. We'll see. I have a pastor relative, and he doesn't like it that I say that. He says, I don't like that. So, well, but we'll see. How many have started well? How many, think of the parable of the sower. How many started well, and then the cares of life came, the sun came out and beat down on them, and they were just, they just withered away. How many people do you know that describes? I, I could name, I could give you name after name after name or name from my own personal experience. I grew up in church with some even thought they were called to ministry, and they were zealous for Jesus. Now they're nowhere to be found. They've, they quit the race, and they're, they're, not, they're not running anymore. Is that going to be you? I pray not. I pray not. Perseverance. What we need is not speed, but perseverance. What Jesus told the church at Thyatira in Romans, or sorry, Revelation 2.19 must be true of us as well. He says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance. I know you've endured patiently, and that's what we're after. When, you, when I'm not the pastor here anymore someday, or uh, you know, you've died, or, or I've died, or we've moved on, or whatever happens, I, I want you to be running the race. If I see you 40 years from now, if God gives me that long, I want you to be running the race, and I need to be running the race. 
That's all you hear me say a lot of times. They've died and they finished their race. The race of faith. Second point here in verse 1. There will be many hindrances, but you must seek grace to overcome them. Why are there many hindrances? Well, because we are our own worst enemies. What a famous quotation. We have met the enemy and he is the devil. Us. You're your own worst enemy. You really are. You're your own worst enemy because some of you are sitting here this morning saying, yada, 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 yada. He's preaching. He's doing his thing. I'm ignoring him. I'm on my phone. I'm doing something else. I'm not listening to him. You're doing your own thing. Friend, that's, an, that's a hindrance. Not listening to the Word, that's a hindrance. I know this because I've done this, right? I'm a man of experience. I've not always been preaching. <laughs> I've listened to a lot of sermons. So it's a hindrance. Some of you find, you know, anything more compelling than this. Hindrances. We're our own worst enemy. We come to that day, we're going to find that we were our own worst enemy. We collapse in on ourselves. That's what we're saved from is ourselves, right, in many ways. The sin that indwells us, the sins we love. We put obstacles in our own way. And of course, we have indwelling sin to slow us down, even threatens to take us out of the race. And so he gives us two directives here for running well. And these are the calling of every Christian, so we're going to take notes. This is a good time. This is what you're called to. This is the response. He says, lay aside every weight. Lay aside every weight. Things that hinder you from running. Maybe it's the cares of life. Maybe it's affliction. Maybe you become defined by your own affliction. I know people who are troubled by their trouble. You know them because they're, they got problems, man. They got problems. And you're going, to have, you're going to know all about their problems because that's what defines them, their problems. They can't successfully take their problems to Jesus and lay them on his shoulders. Knowing that they don't trust that he cares for you. Cast all your cares on him, he cares for you. Then he do that, but they don't. And maybe that's you. You're just, you're troubled by your trouble. I counsel people like that all the time. You're just troubled by your trouble. Maybe it's good things in life. Think of the parable of the sower again. Maybe it's temptation to idolatry. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's money, success, fame, Twitter. Instagram. Now I'm getting closer to home, aren't I? <laughs> Maybe it's likes. Maybe it's being liked. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your wife, your husband. It's, it's, it's something that's good but doesn't make a good God. Because the things in this life, they're good. Even the good things. We saw with Abraham a couple weeks ago. Abraham and Isaac, they don't make good gods. They're subject to decay and they're subject to disappear. Money, for example, it just disappears, right? The Robert Proverbs says, <laughs> money, it sprouts wings and it flies away. I can really relate to that. and You probably can too. The illustration here, I think, is from the ancient Greek Olympics. The runners trained and with weights tied to them. They had long, heavy clothes to make their bodies lean. I mean, to make the bodies heavy. To make them lean by losing weight. These were hindrances. But then on a race day, you know how they ran? Completely naked. Took off everything. And they ran naked. Now, that's, that's a problem in this culture, isn't it? It wasn't a problem in that culture. Why? Because they were laying aside every, every encumbrance. And they could run real because they were used to being encumbered. Now they're running with all those encumbrances, all those hindrances they're laid aside. 
Now, we're not going to run this way, but we're going to run this way spiritually, right? I'm not advocating for anything here. Minimalism, that's what we're advocating for. That, that's a good thing, but we'll keep our shirts on. They would run that way. And I think that's the picture here. Leah said, anything, the anything that, that keeps you from Jesus. The exhortation helps us with all sorts of decisions in our lives. We ask, is this wrong? Is this wrong? Is it wrong for me to do this? How much sin can I get away with? Can I go to first base, second base, third base in this relationship without marriage? Or is that a sin? Yeah, I don't think that's helpful. I think this is more helpful. You know, is steal, this steal, this stealing, I get, you know, I've been asked that a lot. Is this too far? about things that you're not really sure about, I think it's better to ask this question. Is it keeping me from running the race? Is it keeping me from Christ? Is it keeping me from being more like Jesus? Because if it is, then you need to cast it aside. I think that's the question to ask. You may say, well, this is not a sin technically, but on Judgment Day, God's not going to let you in heaven on a technicality. I don't think there's someone there. So I got in on technicality, a loophole. <laughs> I found it, argued my way in here. Uh-uh. Bunyan encountered some people on the way. Christian Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress who tried to get in on technicalities. There are no technicalities. I'm a pastor's daughter. Pastor's son. No technicality. Right? I went to church. I was a member of Christ Fellowship Baptist Church. They preached the doctrines of grace. Man, they had great theology down there. No technicality. What's going to hinder you? Is it those sins that you don't know if it's a sin? Anything that hinders you, anything that gets in the way of your spiritual progress should be discarded. Maybe it involves your lifestyle. I mean, we have many believers today bought into entertainment culture to give vast hours to mindless television or video games or literature or filthy movies or their phones. Can't come to church without the phone. We're so addicted, you know. See people in a restaurant. There's four of them. You know, they're together and they're on their phones. They're texting each other. They're sitting in the, you know, 10 feet apart. But it's what we do. We're distracted. This speaks directly to us today. We're too distracted to run the race. Ask yourself, am I too distracted by my phone, something so silly, to run the race with endurance? If your phone's getting your way, smash it and buy a flip phone. Oh, I couldn't do that. I couldn't wouldn't have a map. I couldn't get anywhere in my car. Well, your car probably has a map in it because it talks to you too, right? It does. And that's just a very crass example, but it's, it captures our hearts, doesn't it? really does. Does it hinder us? I mean, that's what we ask ourselves. Is this going to help or hinder my walk with the Lord, this thing or this pursuit? Is it going to make me more like Jesus or more like the world? That's the best way to assess things, I think, because hindrances can be many things. And it may not be bad things. It may be good things. Am I being drawn closer to the Lord? Am I drawing farther away? In this relationship, in my, this girlfriend, this boyfriend, this best friend, are they drawing me closer to the Lord? If they're not, they have no place in your life. No place. You should be unforgiving, unrelenting with laying these things aside. The second thing is far more serious. The second directive, far more serious with the potential to take you out of the race and give you uh, and, and ruin you completely. He says, lay aside the sin which clings so closely. So lay aside every encumbrance, every hindrance, and then secondly, lay aside the sin which clings so closely. Hindrances weigh us down, but sin tangles our feet. It tackles us to the ground. It can take us out of the race completely. Again, look at the, the ministers and ministries just in the past couple of years have been outed for immorality of all kinds, sexual immorality, abuse of power, all kinds of abuses. 
adultery, anger, misuse of authority, all those things. The list goes on and on and on. Satan deceived them and he took them out of the race because of indwelling sin they would not deal with. What is your pet sin that you're not willing to deal with? Is there something there you just say, well, it's fine, not hurting anybody else. Just, it hurts me maybe, but it doesn't hurt anybody else. That's going to that's gonna kill you in the end if you don't repent and lay it aside. I love the way Puritan theologian John Owen, he said, either be killing sin or it will kill you. Paul in Romans 8, 13 says, put the deeds of the flesh to death. It's a command. We're commanded to kill sin. That should be a daily pursuit for you. Kill pride and arrogance and self-love. Kill injustice. Kill my unbridled anger. Kill my laziness. Kill it. Don't deal with it kindly. Kill it. Kill it. It'll kill you. That's his point. You're laying it aside. It will keep you from Jesus. I think of Joseph and Potiphar's wife back in Genesis 39. You know the story. He was sold into slavery in Egypt. Potiphar was one of, one of Pharaoh's leading men, one of his colonels. Joseph lived with him, went to live with him, got out of prison. Joseph was cast into prison, come to live with him. Potiphar went on a business trip, the good of the kingdom. Potiphar's wife came on to Joseph and said, come lay with me. Come lay with me. And he fled. He said, no, he's put me over the... Your husband's put me over the whole kingdom, everything but you. I can't, we can't do this, this is wrong. To sin against God would be, would be a sin against God. And he flees. That's how you have to treat sin. Of course, he went back to jail. He left his coat in her arms. She took it. She used it against him. She lied about him. He was thrown back into jail. He suffered for doing the right thing, but he did the right thing. He wanted sin put to death. My fear is you don't want sin put to death bad enough. Young person, maybe young Christian, you say, well, I, you know, I, I don't know about that. No, you have to. It will kill you. I know almost by experience, but God granted me grace, and I'm thankful. Think of King David, the other, the flip side of this illustration. There's, there's Joseph, do that. Boy, King David do. He saw Bathsheba, and he looked and began to look. What began to look led to murder and adultery. And praise God, he was restored. We have Psalm 51, one of the most beautiful passages in all the Bible for sinners like us. And yet it just took a look. He wasn't willing to put to death that deed, that lust, that pride. He had to have her as a king, right? And it led to the death of his son, who was the result of the pregnancy that resulted from his adulterous affair. And David regretted it. His entire the sword never departed from his house. He was running brilliantly, but sexual sin and pride took him down. And those sins continue to dog us today. So let us flee temptation and oppose all sin with all of our might. That sounds kind of prudish, Pastor. That's biblical. If that's prudish, I don't apologize. That's biblical. So I've got plenty of time. No, no, this may be your last day. I don't know. I'm not omniscient, and you're not either. We don't write the story of our lives. God does, and he numbers our days. He gives us the number of our days. And sin starts with the level of temptation. James 1, 14 and 15, he gives us this progression. He says, shows kind of the progression and the lifespan of sin. He says, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. David looked, right? David looked. 
Then desire, when it is conceived, it conceives in him. It's a gestation period of uh, conception, and then, and then this gestation period, it gives birth to sin, and sin, what's fully grown, gives birth to death. Sin will take you out of the race. Unmortified sin will cause you to quit the race, maybe for good. So be killing sin. Lay aside every weight, every weight, and ask, is this making me more like Jesus or more like the world? Third point, main point. You can endure in the race because Jesus went before you and endured the cross. In other words, you run by looking to Jesus in his person and work. You're sold out to Jesus, sold out to him because of his person and work. He's the author, the founder, the pioneer of our faith. This word speaks to originator of our faith, the chief leader, the chief example, the pioneer. He blazed the trail of faith before us and faithfulness before us to show us the way. He was tempted in every way as we are yet without, without, I'm asking you to participate at this point. Without, <laughs> tempted in every way. Along the road to Calvary, he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. A sinful Savior would have done us no good. Only Jesus, this Jesus can do helpless sinners good. He's the author of our faith. He didn't bypass the Father's will, did he? When Satan tempted him in the wilderness, he said, I've come to do my Father's will, and replied each of the three temptations with trust in his Father and in his Word. That's what you're going to have to do. Trust God more than your eyes can see, even when it doesn't make sense like we saw last week, and trust in his Word. And to trust in his Word, you have to be in his Word and know your Word. My suspicion is your read-through-the-Bible program has fallen apart long before now for some of you. Not all of you. You don't have to tell me, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. And I don't want you to read through the Bible because your preacher wants you to or your church is doing this because that acquaints you intimately with the living God. That's why we read. Not so we can check a box and say, we did it. You don't have to ever tell me that. It's for your good. It's how you run the race well. Prayer and Scripture. It's very simple, right? The means of grace are very simple. And so you keep on looking to Him. This is one way to keep on looking to Him. But he's the author of our faith. He, he's the author. He gives us faith. I mean, Gethsemane, what he trusted the Father, saying, Let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. But he submitted God's will, his sovereign plan, and gave us an example of how we're to run the race. We're always submitting to God's will, just like Jesus. I don't understand my life, you say. To which I say, welcome to the club. I don't give my life. I don't understand it. How could God choose a, a hillbilly from North Georgia to come and preach the word, to come to a seminary like this and teach people like you who are a lot smarter than him and, and write and do all this stuff? I have no idea. That is a good question. And the answer is only God's grace. <laughs> Sometimes I laugh about it. I think, <laughs> God has a sense of humor. He leaves someone like me. But he's called me to follow Jesus' example. God said, go and preach it. That's what I'm doing, for better or worse. And without Jesus' faithfulness, no believer's faith would count for anything. For if Jesus' faith had not led him to the cross, our faith would be in vain because there would be no sacrifice for our sins, no righteousness to count to our credit. Jesus blazed the trail ahead of us, overcoming all obstacles, defeating sin all the way to Calvary's cross. And we know what happened on the third day. He came out of the ground, right? Defeating death once and for all. But if he had not, we would still be in our sins and we would be on the road to facing God's unmediated justice. And believe me, friend, you don't want that justice. You don't want what's fair with God. 
God gave you what's fair, you'd be vaporized right now and in hell with the worst of sinners, just like I would. But Jesus is the author, the founder, the pioneer. He went before us and showed us how to do it. Of course, it's by faith in him. He's secondly the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. He carried it through to completion. Through his perfect life and his death on the cross, he, his, his act of obedience kept the law perfect, and his passive obedience and laying down his life, no one took it, laid down his life, his perfection leads to the perfection of his people. All who have faith in him and in his righteousness, that's, that's who we are if we're in Christ. When Jesus breathed his last breath on the cross, what did he say? Glad that's over with. He said what? It is finished. He didn't mean, I'm through suffering now. He meant the work the Father sent me to do is complete. Your sins are paid for. The price is paid. What you owed and could never pay, that debt has been canceled. The wrath that you deserve to bear for your sins has been borne to the full, right down to the last penny. That's it. That's it. All the way. It is finished. Work of the Father sent him to do. Perfected our faith. Accomplished precisely what the Father intended. It what did make salvation possible or available. It made salvation, your salvation, complete, finished on that day. For everyone who would believe in Christ. An ironclad reality. It says here, for the joy set before him, he says, endured the cross, despising the shame. He did it with joy. He didn't say, well, i got to do this. I don't want to do this. It's going to be hard. And it's terrible. and It stinks, but I'm going to do it. He did it with joy. He bore your sins with joy. He's your Savior, your joyful Savior. He did not shrink back from doing his Father's will, but took pleasure in doing it. John 4, 34, Jesus said, my food, right here at noon, I say this, right? I pull out this verse. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Jesus' food what he fed on was to do the Father's will. And it is finished. Finished, finished, finished. Jesus saw the crown beyond the cross and he rejoiced. He saw the purchase of his blood and the redeemed church from all ages, his bride forever in regenerated glory of the age to come. And he rejoiced. He rejoiced over you. He rejoiced that this is the way the Father designed it to be. He saw the crown beyond the cross. And it's only in gazing upon this Savior and His sacrifice that we can say in the times when skies have turned dark in life, count it all joy, brothers, when we suffer affliction. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It's only in Him that we can say that. When the worst times come. Tim Challies, I've seen this on his blog. I know it's been hard. Tim's been writing about this. And I know it's hard. Losing your son, 18-year-old son, I can't imagine I can't imagine the brokenness that would bring, the heartache. And I know it's been there, and I've seen it in them. But there's a sense in which he's also counted all joy. Only Christ can do that. If you're not suffering, you will, and you need Christ. And then you can say, this is awful, and, but I can count it all joy. Because he bore the ultimate suffering, the ultimate penalty, the ultimate crime was committed against the ultimate person at Calvary. That's what we celebrate on Good Friday this weekend and then and next weekend, this Holy Week, right? The ultimate crime against the ultimate person. You want injustice? That's injustice. He bore injustice for us so that we can say, I count it all joy. 
He endured both suffering and shame on the cross. And now, he's the object of our faith, right? He's not just the, uh, the perfecter of our faith, the pioneer of our faith. He is the object of our faith. He waits at the finish line for us. It is to him and for him that we run. So endure and persevere because we want to know you. I want you to know him and to join him and share in the blessings of his salvation. But persevere. Run the race, beloved. We see the wrath of God exhausted on him, and from there is where we find our ark of safety. We see our life in his death, our exaltation in his humiliation, our unrighteousness in his shouldering, all of our unrighteousness. Look to him, the glorious Christ. Keep on looking to him who is seated at the right hand of God. Old Testament priests, they never finished their work. They stood up. They never were seated. Jesus, he's, he's finished. It's finished, and he's seated at the place of privilege, at the power at the right hand of God. And what's he doing right now? Is he twiddling his thumbs? Is he on his phone? Is he texting the Father and the Holy Spirit? No. He's praying for you. He's interceding for you and you and you and you and me. Everyone in Christ. Right now, this morning, at 12 o'clock or whatever it is, you wish I'd look, don't you? He, he's praying for us, interceding for you. And it's because of that prayer you are running the race set before you to this day. He's seated at the right hand of God, the throne of God, praying for us. John 17, think of Luke 22, he's praying that way for us. And so finally we endure by looking to this Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. That's, the, that's what he's saying here. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. That's it. That's the command here. Looking to Jesus. Not just this morning, not just till noon or to 12.02 or whatever it is. Looking to Jesus today and evermore. Because beloved Christ, fellowship, Baptist church, he is your only hope. It's not a preacher. It's not a degrees or seminary or, or a big church or the new location. Winning 10,000 people to Jesus, he is your only hope. Keep looking to him. You will only run the race insofar as you keep on looking to him. That's the sense of the Greek here. Look and keep on looking. Never take your gaze off of your Savior. Whether you're a teenager, a child, a teenager, a senior adult, think for a moment about your own story. Think about your life. Just think about it for a moment. I'm... 14, I'm 18, I'm 35, I'm 54, I'm 74. Think, think with me as we close here for just a moment. Think about your life. And you say, it seems so short. And it seems so long. And it is. Your life is very short, it's a vapor. But your life is also very long. You've got a race to run. You're going to have to run it every single day all the way to the end during this long life. The days God gives you every single day. John Bunyan described it this way in one of his lesser-known works called The Heavenly Footman. He said, because the way is long and there are many a dirty, there's many a dirty step, many a high hill, much work to do, a wicked heart, world, a devil to overcome, I say there are many steps to be taken by those that intend to be saved. By running or walking in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham. Out of Egypt thou must go through the Red Sea. Thou must run a long and tedious journey through the vast howling wilderness. 
before thou come to the land of promise. They that will go to heaven must run for it. That's why I said run for your life. Because as the way is long, so the time in which they are to get to the end of the victory, or the end is very certain, but the time present is the only time. He's saying this is all you got. You got this time. Because when it's over, when God calls you home, it's over. You got this time, and that's the only life you've got. You've got one life. Are you going to keep looking to Jesus? He says, thou hast no more time allotted thee than thou now enjoyest. You've got no more time to run this race than now. The next 30, 40, 50, 60, whatever years God gives you, that's the venue in which you run. Brothers and sisters, you're running a grueling race. It's a spiritual equivalent of the triathlon, Ironman triathlon, to the thousandth power. But the stakes are far, far higher. Every sin you commit, every bad habit you keep in your life, will only slow you down, even take you off course. Will you lay aside those weights and be killing sin? Knowing if you don't, sin will kill you. Friends, fix your eyes on the Savior, on the one who took your sins all the way to Calvary, the one who delivered you up, was delivered up for your trespasses and was raised for your justification. He must be your treasure in the field. He must be your pearl of great price. Keep on looking to him today and tomorrow and forever. Let's pray. Father, there's so much in a short span here. I pray I've done it justice. Give us, those of us have tired legs, and we're going to see that here in a, a few verses. Our legs get tired, and we get, our bodies get weak. Our resolve begins to wane. But God, Jesus is all we need. Give us the grace to persevere in this grueling race of faith because Jesus is enough. And may every person in the hearing of my voice look to him today if they don't know him for salvation. And may every person within the hearing of my voice keep on looking to him who is the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, despising the shame endured the cross, and is this very morning seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In his holy and mighty name we pray. Amen.